0: I invite you to be opening your Bible to the book of Genesis, chapter 2. Earlier this morning, I've already uh, met uh, several people in the service who have uh, three generations present this morning. Um, Anybody with more than three generations here this morning on campus today? Anybody with four generations present, a family? Anybody? All right, so three. How many of you have three generations of your family with you today? Wave at me. Really big, proud. Congratulations. God bless you. In this uh, teaching series we started last Sunday, we're talking about how do we as parents and grandparents help our children as they grow, become teenagers, young adults, move on into the world, uh, how do we help them have a passion for God? One of the verses I want to call your attention to, we'll we'll look in Genesis so you have your Bible, but look at this verse on the screen from Proverbs 17, 6 for just a moment. The Bible says, Grandchildren are the crown of old men and the glory of sons... Is their fathers. Now, that first part you've heard before. We talk about it a lot. Um, grandchildren are a great blessing to grandparents. I mean, if you're around grandparents, they just light up when they see their grandkids or uh, when they talk about their grandkids. I mean, it's one of the crowns of life. It's you know you've li- you ra- you know grandkids are the reward for raising your kids. It's just that simple, okay? It's the reward for raising your kids. It's the reward for surviving the teenage years of your children, okay? Grandkids—they're just a gift from God. They—they they really are. I mentioned we—we uh, we were with, with ours this weekend, Friday afternoon. Monisa and I drove to Hanahan near Charleston, spent Friday night with Jacqueline and 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 her two kids. Her husband, as most of you know, is in the military, so he's in. Kuwait on tour with the Air Force for a little over six months. Won't be back till mid August. So we went down to spend some time with her and, and the kids. And Saturday morning, um, I was the first one up, and the Jacqueline bought me a coffee pot. So I get up early Saturday morning, and I'm making me some coffee. And all of a sudden, Liliana, who's four, comes out of the bedroom and says, Hey, Paul. And then she turns around, and looks back toward the, the bedroom, and she says, Hey, Liam, Paul's up. And then, shoot, it's on. Okay, it's just on from there. So, it's, you know, it's, it's a good, good morning. And uh, yesterday we, we drove back, stopped in Columbia yesterday evening, had dinner with Stephen, our son, and Sarah, and their one year old daughter, uh, uh, Emily. And um, then, uh, of course, you know, she's expecting our, their second, our fourth grandchild in early August. And so, she's, Emily, she's a, she's a daddy's girl. And she won't even let her mom hold her, she won't let me hold her. She's a daddy's girl. We get her on Memorial Day weekend. I'm gonna break her and make her a pause girl. (laughs) So that you know that verse is true. Grandchildren, grandchildren are the crown. I mean, it's just it's just a, a beautiful part of life. But but look at the rest of the verse. We we never pay any attention to the rest of it. And the glory of sons is their fathers. It could also be translated, children and their parents the NIV i believe translates it parents are the pride of their children slow down and look at that because the second part of that verse is saying the opposite of what we normally think grandchildren are the you know the the, the crown the glory the blessing to grandparents but it, it, the second part is not saying children are the blessing to parents now that's true we saw that last week but you know what that verse is really the second part is actually saying parents listen Parents are supposed to be the glory, the crown, the blessing of their children. It's the opposite of what we often think. That parents are to be the pride of their children. In other words, mom and dad, God says you are to be the kind of person, live in such a way, behave in such a way, conduct yourself in such a way that your children are proud to call you mom or dad. That's what that verse is saying. That you are to be their glory. That they are to look at you and say, I am proud to be associated with that man, that woman, those parents. Live in such a way they're not ashamed to be related to you. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, the little embarrassment some kids get when you say, I love you in public. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you're the kind of person that when your kids are honest, they say, I am proud of mom. I'm proud of dad. I, I love them, and I, I'm, I'm happy to emulate them and learn from them, and they're, they're, they're the glory of my life. I'm, I'm proud to be connected to them. So it's not just about us teaching them lessons with our words because the greatest lessons we teach are with our lives. What do our lives teach our children and teach our grandchildren? How do they how do they feel about the way we live and conduct ourselves? Are your kids proud of you? Even if they've never told you, are they proud of the person you're becoming? Are they proud of the fact that today you're more mature than you were five years ago. Today, you're more loving and more kind and more generous and more forgiving than you were ten years ago. Are they proud of the fact that when they look at you, they see development, they see spiritual growth, they see more love for Jesus in you now than they did in the past? You see, if we want to maximize the positive influence we can have on our children, especially spiritually, then that matters. The research tells us that one of the keys to your children being spiritually strong as adults and staying in church is as they grow up, they have to like you. They have to like you. That if they don't like who you are, they don't like you, your influence is not as positive as you want it to be. Now, that's not the same as just being their friend and, you know, compromising. You have to be a person they like and they respect. So uh, we, we want that for our kids. It matters. And, and the Bible says that's that's the kind of parent, those are the kind of parents that are a blessing to their children. So in this sermon series, what we're trying to do is help us, help me, help you know how to be those kind of parents that maximize our influence on our kids, and and we're using some tools. The first tool we, we're using is the Word of God. What, what does the Bible teach us? What are some principles in Scripture that can help us be godly parents and, and influence our kids the right way? The other tool we're, we're using are some research projects, three in particular. You see the Harvard Grant Study, the Lifeway Research Project, and then the other one is the one that's summarized in this book that I'm referring to why they stay looking at Children who grew up in church, that as young adults in their 20s and early 30s, stay in church and love the Lord Jesus. And what were the factors that tended to influence them in such a positive way spiritually? So that's what we're looking at and looking at some lessons. And, and, I, and I said last week that you could summarize all the lessons from Scripture and these studies in, in, in this, this idea, that the most important thing is that we be authentic in our ability to love. Love God with all your heart. Be real. And then today, love their mom. Love their dad. Genesis 2, I ask you to open your Bible. We'll look at some verses there in a moment. I spent some time praying over what passage to use to talk about loving your spouse because uh, the, the other three sermons, the Scripture passages just came quickly. This one I struggled Struggled. Which 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 passage to help us understand some important things about loving your spouse? And I decided to take a, a different approach because there's a lot of love stories in the Bible. There really are, and they're beautiful to study sometimes. And I encourage you to do that. And uh, the story is found in, in Genesis 2. And I want us to walk through a little bit of that. And I just want to make a couple of points uh, real quick. So Genesis chapter 2, and I, I've got the verses on the screen for you as well. Let's let's start by looking at verse 7. Now, many of you are familiar with the story, but if you're not, you can follow here. The Bible says in Genesis 2, God formed man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So God creates humanity. He creates the first man, Adam, and He places him in verse 8 in a garden. We call it the Garden of Eden. Now the story drops down a few verses to verse 15, I believe. Verse 15. And so look at what it says. The Lord God took the man and he put them in the Garden of Eden, and notice that, to cultivate and keep it. Hey, guys, listen to me. Ladies, listen to me. Work is not part of the curse. Work is not part of God's punishment. Now, how hard it is, is part of the punishment, because after the sin, God made the weeds grow, and the weeds and everything got hard. But production, doing stuff, creating stuff, is one of the gifts of God. And so God God puts Adam in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it, take care of it. And uh, in verses 16 and following, he said, uh, you can eat from everything in here. You know the story except the fruit of that one tree. In other words, hey, you have such liberty. Humanity, you have so many blessings, so many gifts, so many opportunities. You've got so much available to you. But there are some things off limits. Have you ever noticed when you tell a child, a little child, no, what, what, what happens? <laughs> See, it's a human predicament. We, we can have thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of opportunities, but let somebody say no to one thing and we get our dander up. That's the human problem pride and arrogance. And I've got to be God and I need to be king and I need to be in charge, I need to be the boss. And that kind of thinking usually leads us down a path of, of pain. And uh story continues in, in, in verse 8, 18 rather. Uh, God said it's not good for Adam and for the man to be alone. Aren't you glad? See, God, God is the one who created us for relationships. That is a human need because the divine being created it in us. It begins with our Need for a relationship with Him, created in His image. That's the first relationship, priority relationship. But we, but, but He said, I want you to be blessed in human relationships with people, and the most intimate of those relationships is is, is the, the the marriage relationship. So God says it's not good for man to be alone. I'll, I'll make a helper suitable for him, somebody who fits him, somebody who's good for him. And so the, in verses 19, God creates all the animals and he brings them to Adam and he names them, etc. But at the end of verse 20, none, none of them were suitable. You know, there's, 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 listen, there is nothing in creation apart from a relationship with Jesus and a relationship with people that is ultimately fulfilling the way relationships are. Nothing else God created. Nothing you can accomplish, nothing else you can do is as deeply fulfilling, Scripture teaches, as relationships. Especially intimate relationships. That's why marriage can be such a blessing or when it's not done well, so painful. That's that's the reason your relationship with your children and grandchildren and, and, and your siblings and your parents can be such a great blessing or so painful because you can't have great love without the risk of great pain, which makes it much more important that we be intentional in how we approach the relationships because they are the greatest blessings in life. And it's the lack of intentionality that often brings so much pain. It's the taking of those for granted that causes us to do really silly things that hurt deeply. And so in verse 21, God gives Adam the first sleeping pill in history. And he takes a rib, and in verse 22, he fashions that rib into a woman. And he brings her to the man. Marriage is God's gift. It's his creation, Scripture's teaching. It's not a human invention. It's a divine invention, a divine institution. And in verse 23, Adam hears how he responded. Wow. That summarizes the whole verse. This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Then in verse 24, for this reason, hey, get out of your parents' house and love that woman. Love your family. Be devoted to your marriage because it's going to bless your life It's going to bless your husband's life, your wife's life, and it's going to bless your children if you do it well. Now, I mentioned the Harvard Grant study. Um, You remember I shared with you, this is a study that's been ongoing since the 1940s, Harvard University started tracking the lives of some students at Harvard back in the 40s, all the way up to today, those that are still alive. And they also started tracking some inner-city kids in Boston. Very different backgrounds, very different opportunities, very different circumstances. And they've tracked them all these decades, and they've looked at factors and outcomes and what lessons can be learned from that. And do do you know, listen, do you know? They've spent millions of dollars to learn something, I could have told them just from reading scripture that it doesn't matter whether you are from a from a, 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 a really blessed socioeconomic educational background and attend Harvard, or you're from the inner city with all the challenges. What 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 they have discovered is that listen to this. Close relationships, more than money, more than fame, more than success, keep people happy throughout life. How about that? Because you may have a big bank account, but loneliness still kills. The crowd may applaud when you catch the touchdown pass, but when you leave the stadium, if you're alone, you're alone. The study has made it crystal clear that keeping good relationships means that for the most part, people tend to live longer and be happier. Listen to this. They've studied these people long enough to discover that those at age 50 who are most satisfied with their marriage are the healthiest at age 80. And didn't matter whether they were Harvard graduates or products of the inner city, that held true. The Harvard study says, and I'm quoting, that good marriage protects people against mental, emotional, and physical problems better than money, genes, high IQ, or social class. And that Bad relationships, the inability to have healthy, positive relationships doesn't guarantee but it does make it more likely that kids will struggle when they're adults with relationships finding it hard to trust or know how to deal with conflict. And I don't want to discourage anybody, but you need to know the truth. The research project that is the basis of this book, Why They Stay, discovered that children whose parents divorce while those children are in high school are twice as likely to leave the church, abandon the faith, and struggle with those kind of issues as adults. Again, no guarantee. But we need to be aware of influence and the impact that it has. Now, let me encourage you a little bit. Y'all know that uh, last month, Barbara Bush, first President George Bush's uh, wife, died. She was, what, 92 years old? They had been married 73 years. Listen to this. They had been married longer than any couple who served as president in the history of this country. 73 years of marriage. And that photo went viral of him sitting there in the, in the wheelchair, looking at his wife's casket. They met at a Christmas dance when she was 17 and he was 18. It was during World War II. They got engaged. And he went off. He went off to war, an aviator. One time, uh, at the time, the, the youngest in military history as a naval aviator and flew a plane that dropped torpedoes and bombs on, on the Japanese. And uh, on his plane, you know how some of you have seen pictures, these soldiers back in World War II paint words and pictures and names on their plane. On his plane, he painted the name Barbara. He was engaged to her, and that was on his plane as he was dropping those torpedoes and bombs in the Pacific. On one mission, his plane and three others were hit by Japanese fire. Uh, Three of the planes crashed or crash landed near the island south of Tokyo and those soldiers were captured and tortured and beheaded. He managed to get his plane a little further out into the ocean and he ejected and another person on his plane ejected and the third one was unable to. His parachute didn't open and died. And uh, he was rescued by the Americans from the ocean. During the war, he wrote letters. Now, Barbara lost all the letters except one he wrote her during the war. Let me read you part of the one letter that survived he sent her while he was uh, in World War II. He called her Bar, B-A-R, Dear dear Darling Bar. Now, listen to this this paragraph out out of the letter. Sounds like young love, doesn't it? He said, I love you, precious, with all my heart. And to know that you love me means my life. How often I have thought about the immeasurable joy that will be ours someday. How lucky our children will be to have a mother like you. See, words are powerful. Positive words are powerful. Negative words are powerful. Husbands and wives, the way you talk to each other is powerful for good or bad, for love or hate. Words matter. In the next paragraph of the letter, he describes their training. And and he, he, and he talks about how he had been looking forward to going to war and doing his duty, and it was an adventure. But after he had fallen in love with her, he still wanted to go, but it was his job. He had a different thought pattern. Now he he was looking forward to getting it done and getting home to her. And a couple of sentences later in the letter, he said, this may sound melodramatic, but if it does, it's only my inadequacy to say what I mean. Bar, now listen to this. You, You have made my life full of everything I could ever dream of. They were going to have six children together, one who would die uh, really young, 17 grandchildren, seven great-grandchildren. About a year before she passed away, Barbara Bush said, now now you have to remember, she was 91 years old, they have been married 72 years, and this is what she said in an interview. She said, I'm still old, and still in love with the man I married 72 years ago. A few years ago, George Bush wrote her a letter, and this is what he said to his wife. He said, You have given me joy that few men know. I have climbed perhaps the highest mountain in the world, referring to becoming president. This was after the presidency. I've climbed the highest mountain in the world, but even that cannot hold a candle to being Barbara's husband they would pray together every night before going to bed and uh, she jokingly said once they sometimes would fight over who got to pray (laughs) now what's my point great love is possible but it's intentional It usually doesn't happen by accident. And to maximize our positive influence on our kids, we, we need to develop that kind of love because where are they going to learn how to love? From us. Now, maybe you can't undo the past, but guess what? You can change your future. You can make a decision today to do things differently tomorrow, and that can still influence. You, you, you know the mistake we often make is we start looking around us. We start looking at our circumstances, the, the outside, and say, if this were different and if that were different, then I would be different, and I, And and I'm going to suggest we look on the inside and we look up because go back to Adam and Eve. Here's here's the real reason I uh, I chose this story, not just because of the biblical lessons there, but think about how, how we think circumstances have to be perfect. Well, nobody had better circumstances than Adam and Eve. Their environment was perfect. Their circumstances were perfect. They were perfect for each other. I mean, nobody else. God created them just for each other. Perfect for each other. Perfect backgrounds. God individually fashioned each one of them. Perfect backgrounds. And they still, with all of that going for them made one really bad decision that brought a lot of pain to everybody. (laughs) You see, circumstances aren't what determine whether or not you want to be the right kind of person. It's your heart, it's your soul, it's your mind, it's your will that says no matter what my back no matter what my circumstances, perfect or far less than that, I can choose to love God and love my spouse. And then when I have kids, love kids. And I'll tell you something God came before your spouse, and the spouse came before your kids. And if you want to love your kids best, love God and your spouse. The way you're supposed to. Because in loving the way you're supposed to, you end up loving your kids the way you need to. And you give them a head start on how to have a great life themselves. You don't have to have a perfect. I mean, they did, and they still messed up. It's not about your circumstances. It's about who you are and who you want to be, the kind of person you want to be, the kind of love you want to, to give. That's the key. I'll, I'll close with this. I love this story about an elderly couple up in Alaska. They were in their 80s. And um, they went out for a drive in this pickup. Had their had their had their uh, their, their dogs with him, and he they stopped on the way. She stayed in the truck because it was cold. He got out to let the you know dogs walk a little bit, and all of a sudden this large moose started chasing him. And here's this eighty-some year old man running in the snow trying to get back to the truck, and he doesn't make it. Moose knocks him down, starts stomping on him. He ends up with uh, I think seven broken ribs and a six-inch gash on his forehead. You know what saved him? his five-foot-tall, 80-some-year-old wife. She jumped out of that truck, grabbed a shovel, and started beating the you-know-what out of that moose. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> huh? Yeah, I'll tell you the truth. And eventually he walked off. And I just love that image of this 80-some-year-old, five-foot-tall woman with that shovel just protecting her man. <laughs> Isn't that great? You know, instead of fighting each other all the time, how about fight for your marriage? Mm -hmm. How about fight for your husband and fight for your wife? How about fight for each other instead of fighting each other? takes some intentionality. takes going against what the world says a lot of times. But it sure is worth it. God says so, and even Harvard University says so. <laughs> so what kind of person do you want to be? What kind of husband do you want to be? What kind of wife do you want to be? What kind of parent do you want what kind of influence do you want to be? What kind of life do you?